0: morning Morning. it is on right all right Sam you hear me all right good he says if I talk too low which I don't think I really have a low voice but it I get a little bit harder to hear you know what I'm saying (laughs) I wish I think I got to be like three feet taller to have a voice like that you know uh I am constantly reminded and I need to keep this ever before me and I think we do as a church we're messy. We, at times we come here and we put on our smiles. But there are broken lives in here. And it's okay. It's okay that we are broken. The Lord understands. So let's stop pretending. We are broken people that need each other. That's why there is a church. It's not here to waste your time once a week. We are here because we are a community that needs each other and loves each other. I know that's not my sermon, but I just am constantly reminded of this and that is our purpose. Now on a on an upper note, are any of you guys here for the teacher convention that is in Chicago area? Do we have any visiting people that are here for teacher convention? Where do you teach? Oh, Los Angeles. Oh, the principal. All right. I was reminded the principal. Okay. And you are going you are from again. From paradise. She lives in paradise. So we all envy somebody who lives in paradise. Yeah, exactly. I hope we're going to not California. Yeah. Where you where you teach? Or huh? In Italy. Oh well, so California's not that far. So Italy. Do we have any others? Yes. In Texas, we were there for seven years. Those are friends of ours. They're staying. They're staying with us. Um, any others that are going to this? I mean, even that are local, yes. And where are you from, ma'am? Or Well, right now, I know. Okay, this is her home. This is our principal. Our teachers in the back also. There's one of our teachers back there. And, and we have our educational superintendent. We are amongst royalty now. Uh, the <laughs> Illinois Conference Educational... Uh, superintendent is here. So you should all meet each other. Please greet. If you saw their hands up, please greet them and uh, make sure they have a good impression of Chicago um, because I'm sure they hear other stories on the news. (laughs) Sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh come, let us adore Him. Oh come, let us adore. Him Christ the Lord. Father, praise be to your holy name. We ask that the Spirit of the Lord is here, and that what happens this weekend during this education, Uh, seminar, convention, time of community. Lord, we ask that your spirit is there and that people see friends that they haven't seen in a long time, that people are inspired to go back to their schools and reach these kids for the cause of Christ. May you be lifted up and draw all people to you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So as... You locals know we are doing a series in who? Moses. Moshe, which Moshe means the one drawn out. Now there is debate if that was from Egyptian or Hebrew, Masha. But all we know is he was the one drawn out of water. This series is called Called Back because Moses left And after 40 years, God says, I need you back there. Now, does anybody recognize this picture? Do you know what this is? It is not Bill Merman's forehead, despite popular belief. I don't think it looks like it. This is part of a coconut. And it was made into a paperweight that sat on somebody's desk. Does anybody know whose desk this sat on? Cricket, cricket, cricket. Because this was famous. It sat on a president of the United States desk named John F. Kennedy. Now, there is a reason... He had this coconut on his desk. He was asked years later how he became a war hero. I don't know if he knew he was a war hero. And he said, jokingly, well, it was easy. They cut my boat in half. I was forced into it. If you know about John F. Kennedy, he was not a leader. He was a sickly kid. Second born in his family, who was not supposed to be the President of the United States. His brother was. But his brother died in flight. So it, on August 2nd, on August 2nd, Madison, but of 1943, he was in the Solomon Islands, or amongst them, on, in the water, With his PT, what number is it? 109. 109. PT 109. And there were 13 people on board. And he leaned back and they were scouting so that they could shoot down the Japanese boats. By the way, you know what PT stands for, right? Patrol. What's the thing that? Torpedo. Patrol torpedo. So PT-109 was there. And as it sat at 2 a.m. in the water, the scout looked out as the Lieutenant Kennedy leaned back. And as the Amagari stormed at them, this ship that was larger than a football field, at least longer than a football field, At top speed of 44 miles an hour, when it was 250 yards away, the scout screams out, ship! So Kennedy gets up and says, turn, turn. And as they're turning the ship, they are not fast enough to avoid the amagari. And at a diagonal slice, it sliced the boat in half. Well, two, two of, the, uh, of the, the soldiers, the sailors, are automatically killed. Two others burned badly. And the boat is going to sink. At this time, Kennedy doesn't know what to do. You know, uh, just a side note, his, his sailors, the, his subordinates, didn't respect him. They, they were actually complaints that went in about him. There are stories of complaints going in that all he wants to do is hook up with girls. He, he wants to go from port to port and find more girls to end up with. He was not a leader. But at this point, as his boat is sinking and on fire, he looks for an island. Now, he can't go to the closest island because there's threat of Japanese uh, soldiers on those islands. So he looks, and he says, there's an island about three miles from here. Now, how many of you are swimmers? Is three miles a short distance? In swimming? Running, I don't feel three miles is really a short distance. I don't like to run to the mailbox. But swimming, to me, now I am not a swimmer. But if I had to swim three miles, I'll see you guys later. I'll see you in heaven because I am not swimming three miles. But he says three miles away, there is an island. So they start swimming. Now, I don't know if you know this. Does anybody know what what university uh, John F. Kennedy went to? Huh? Harvard. Harvard University. And he swam for the university. So what he did is he, he, they all, or a lot of the crewmen that weren't the best swimmers, they took parts of the boat, and they used the debris to swim. But what he did is he took one of the injured guys and put a life jacket on him and put the strip of the life jacket in his mouth and swam pulling somebody with his mouth. Well, what kind of water is he in, by the way? Salt water, right? How many of you have? How many of you love to drink salt water? So good. I used to gargle it when I'm sick, and it makes me want to throw up. He just drinks and drinks as because he can't close his mouth. He has to pull. Eventually, he makes it. He gets to land with all that salt water, and the first thing he does is. Ugh. But he can't rest. There's still guys out there. So he goes back for them. He swims and swims. And then he plops down. It took them five hours that first time it took him to to swim to land. Five hours of swimming. I can't imagine. Now, when they're all there, he says, I need to go to the next island to see if somehow we can be saved. So he starts going to the other part of the island, and he realizes that there is all this coral. Now, coral is not soft, but he knew that if he swam with all of his gear, because of swimming so much, he, just, he would be exhausted. So he strips down to nothing. He strips down to nothing and starts his path on a coral reef and is cut to pieces. Yet he keeps swimming and swimming, but he's so exhausted and the current kept carrying him that he just decided to go with it. That was going to be it. He was going to die. But all of a sudden, the current changed and brought him back ...to the island. For several days they were stranded there, and as the testimony goes, they ate snails and bird droppings. After four days, he swam to a nearby island. He found two natives. Now, by the way, these natives, as Seventh-day Adventists, are connected to the Adventist church. If you ever study some of the history but I'm not going there. And he carves a message in a coconut. The natives take the coconut message, um, but they they convinced him and another to use a canoe during a rainstorm to go find a PT ship. Their ship capsizes, and they barely make make it back to land. Eventually, eventually, the Natives find some New Zealand uh, New Zealand uh, some sailors, and they are saved. His crew, the ones that are saved, were saved because of him, a sickly boy who was not supposed to be a leader. We get to Moses. And it almost seems like Moses' story is the opposite. He was bred to be a leader. If you do trust patriarchs and prophets, it says that the, that the Pharaoh wanted him to take over. But he goes and kills one of the Egyptians. And the problem is, is not that, you know, people in leadership kill people all the time. All right? I'm assuming. I assume that people in leadership have gotten away with murder. And that's why we have that expression. But the challenge is that he was protecting the slaves over the Egyptians. So the idea is that probably the, the Pharaoh thought that he was a dissenter. You're going to lead a, a revolt. And so we have to kill you. So he comes, and he runs away, and he goes to a place called Midian, which are distant relatives. If you know this, Midian comes from Moses' next marriage, from Keturah, I think his wife is. And they have Midian, and Midian is known for being nomads. And he sits there, and he probably, it doesn't say this in the text, he's probably like, what do I do now? Well, these women aren't being able to to get water because these shepherds are being really not nice. So I'll help them. That's a, character, uh, that, that's a characteristic of Moses. He seems to always want to help the underdog. That's a good characteristic. But he gets there, and, the, and then the, you know the story. I'm not going to read that part of the story. Um, they get back home, and, he's, and the dad, Ruel, which is Jethro, he says, hey, why are you guys home so early? Well, there's a guy that helped us. Well, where is he? Well, we just left him there. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, why don't you invite him home for dinner? And, and so he comes home, and, and, it, and it really shortens the story, and it says he stays there, he marries Zipporah. That's how it goes. So if you help somebody single, guys, <laughs> that's your in. But you might want to help people with You know, like you might want to scope out, oh, what's their daughters like, you know? And then you help that person. He ends up with, I'm just joking. He ends up with Zipporah. And then 40 years later, it skips 40 years of his life. It says in chapter 3, now Moses... Oh, yeah, you'll need your sword here. I just put that as the text. Exodus chapter 3. I'm so sorry. I should have warned you. All right, I'm going to start reading. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Whose flock was this? Whose whose was it? you telling me he didn't have his own flock? There is a key why he put this there. He didn't have his own flock. At one point, he was supposed to lead the most powerful empire of that era, in that area. But he didn't even have his own flock. And I do wonder if that is part of the... The story. I mean, if you think about it, probably when he first left Egypt, he was, I thought I was supposed to do something great. But by this time, he's just going through routine. All right, sheep, you're not even my sheep. Let's go. Okay, we'll follow. And they knew him, but they weren't even his. continued. The priest of Midian, that's Jethro, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert that and came to Horeb. What is the other name of Horeb? Come on. Sinai. Sinai. Remember that. They're the same mountain. The mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. It's so funny that they put inner, what do you call that, inner monologue or whatever in here? Like, who says that? You know, you see something, oh, I see that there is a brown piano. I will go look at it. You know, and that's it's really sort of this inner monologue. He's, you know, oh, I see that something weird is happening. Well, let me go over there. Um, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, whenever you see this twice, now you don't see it as much in, in the English as in Hebrew, but when something is repeated, he, he says, really listen. Moses, Moses. Now, we don't know, because the text doesn't say this, if he really believed it was God yet. All he saw is a fire. There could be somebody behind the bush saying, hey, Moses, Moses, I'm on fire, help me. We don't know. And Moses said, here I am. But then it says this. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, what was burning A bush. Insignificant. You think God could have picked a tree and said, I'm burning a tree. But instead, it's something that Moses would have never looked at as he walked through. I want you to notice that the bush is not the significant thing here. It's the fire that is not consuming. There is a purpose to this. No matter what we are, what our talents are, whatever, if we are not significant, some of us are not tall like Ed Williams. Some of us are below five foot eight. It's okay. I'm taller than the average Filipino height. I, I looked that up. I'm half Filipino, by the way. So, God says, that's not what's important. What will make your life significant is the fire that burns within. That is from the Holy Spirit. By the way, I don't know what significance, you know, I've heard, I've read the significance where he says, take off your... Sandals for where you stand is holy ground. Historically, that makes sense. Even if, if any of you have spent time in the East, like in Asia. I lived in Korea for two years. We always took off our shoes. You would, t- I, sometimes I would get frustrated because I'd leave something in the apartment and I got to take off my shoes just to get it. You know, I'd leave a key there. Oh, take off my shoes. So I learned to be very organized. I've since lost that. But, but yeah, you would always take off your shoes in any sacred space. And even your home is considered a sacred space. It's something designed for, for living, for life. And here he says, take off your shoes. There's something special going on here. So let's continue. Chapter, or verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You should know those people. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look to God. So probably before this time, that's your clue. He didn't know it was God until he identifies himself. The Lord said, I have seen... I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of of that land into a good and spacious land, and a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, And I have seen the way of the Egyptians, the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What I want you to see from that is God acts. God acts. I think at times we forget this. That God wants to do something. If you read the text, now I put them in this, in this language because I was reading from a, from a different uh, translation. But I'm, So it says, I have seen the people, which is active. These are all verbs. I have seen, I have given heed, or I have heard them. So it's using the senses. I have seen, I have heard. It says, I am aware to, or aware or concerned, my heart breaks for them. That's what the, the text means. I have seen them and I have heard their cries and my heart is breaking. But that's not the last part. He said, I have come down to bring them out. Some of you might be in your land Of Egypt. Please know that God sees, He hears, but He's not indifferent. His heart breaks over you. And we don't know the timing, but He will come down and bring you out. Or he is not God. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen. But he, that is his characteristic. Up to this point, it's probably from Moses' perspective and the sons of Israel. Did you forget us, God? I mean, you think about it. Forty years, Moses who once was told by angels according to patriarchs and prophets, you will deliver those people 40 years, day after night, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, you know, storms, clear sky, leading sheep. Eventually, you think it's not going to happen. I'm 80 years old. God must have seen his ways, the error of his ways, and decided to choose somebody better. I mean, wouldn't you think that? 40 years? I mean, it's not the next year, 40 years later. The sons of Israel were in slavery probably for at least 86 years. And so that's more than a generation they were also, it says, they, it was prophesied to them. God must have forgot us. Either we did something wrong, he forgot us. But they still cried to him. And maybe that's the lesson, that sometimes perseverance, because God hears, sees, is concerned. Perseverance in prayer and crying out to the Lord is important. I I was talking to our prayer group today, and I was saying, you know, I've noticed within myself, at times I pray like I want my internet. I wanna pray and I want God to answer in 4G speed. Actually, sometimes I want him to answer in a 5G speed. And when he doesn't, internally I get a little frustrated. And I questioned, God, what, what, what's going on? The Israelites were not getting dial-up. It had been 86 years in slavery. So I'm assuming some of them thought, God forgot. But the text says this. Now this I do have up. I put up the, this for you. It says, but Moses said to God when he was asked, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I just find this funny, and hopefully you do too. Because he says, who am I that I should go out to, to Pharaoh? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, I think there's two funny things here. He said his question is, who am I? That's question number one, all right? Who am I? And God's answer is not, well, you're Moses. He says, Who am I? And he says, I will be with you. I'm going to start answering my kids with those kinds of questions. Dad, can I have some candy? I will be with you. Dad, I want to go here. I will be with you. I'm going to totally throw them off, and they're going to be like, I'm not going to ask my dad any more questions. He says, I will be with you. And then he said, and here is your sign that it's me. When you come back to this mountain and worship here, there's your sign. Now, isn't that strange? Your sign will be in hindsight. Then you'll know that I'm with you. That's the thing. A lot of times the sign that God has been with us is hindsight. Hindsight. Has God transformed your life? Now, we can say, I can preach to you, you need to follow Jesus because he will transform your life. Well, if he hasn't transformed my life, then that's no evidence. The sign that God can transform your life is that, in hindsight, he has transformed mine. You know, part of the reason that I know God is real, I know, without a doubt, is because what he did in my dad's life. My dad, and I love my dad, and and I'm always a little bit careful about bringing family in there, but I'll throw them under the bus. Come on. Kid, you better watch out. So my dad had his struggles. He had his struggles with uh, other females. He had his struggles, very big struggles, with, with temper. I mean, we had holes in walls. We had broken plates. But when he actually gave his life to Jesus Christ in 1997, the same year I did, 180. When, we never talked about Jesus. That's all that came out of his mouth. The Lord transformed him. Now, you might not know that because you don't know him, but I saw the transformation happen. I know he is real, but that only I, know, I only know it's real because I see in hindsight and he's saying, this is how you'll know. So you're just going to have to wait. But question number one is, who am I? There's another question coming. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them. So I, I almost wonder if he's being a little bit sarcastic. He says, okay, so say I do this. Um, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? But Moses said to God, oh wait, that's, I think I copied that from the other text. What shall I tell them was the text. Actually, let me make sure I read everything in that. But Moses said to God, um, who am I? And God said, I will be with you. Okay, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I say to them? Okay, so I did read all of that. His second question to God is Well, okay, so you're not really going to answer me, Who am I? But the second question is, Who are you? Okay, I have no confidence in me, but why should anybody trust you? Who are you? They might ask, well, which God is actually sending you, Moses? So I better have a good answer because they didn't trust me 40 years ago when I was trying to help them out. So who are you? And God answers them this way. God says to Moses, I am who I am, that this is, the, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent, you, sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, in Hebrew, you knew I was going to bring it. I am who I am, I actually believe, is translated wrong. And it makes my skin crawl a little bit, if you know my love for Hebrew, that people will preach on I am who I am. And they will say things like this. See, it uses I am in the present tense because the past, God is not the God of the past who is only just... Of the past and not necessarily the God of the future. He is present in your life. And I love the, the, the message. It's a feel good message. But it's not true to the text. See, if you go to the Hebrew, it's Eye Asher Eye. And if you read that text, in Hebrew language, there is no real present tense, they only use present tense. In participles, all right, you, 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 you following me, participles? Okay, you probably aren't because you were in seventh grade when you did grammar. Participles are usually ongoing. I-N-G words. My son is sleeping or they are eating. So it's something that's continuous. So that's your present tense. But this is not that. It is an imperfect Which is future tense. Something that is not completed. And Eye, Asher Eye, means I will be who I will be. That is his answer. Who are you? I will be who I will be. There you go, Moses. I will be. Just tell them, I will be. Now, the theology behind this is it doesn't matter where you go, I will be. If you go here, guess what? I will be. If you are there, I will be. Even if you're in a bad place, I will be. There is nowhere, remember David says, it doesn't matter if I go down to the, the pits of hell. God says, I will be. Wherever you are in your walk, he will be. This is what he says. So I'm going to skip a little bit here and just sort of summarize this. So he basically tells Moses, this is what you're going to say. You're going to say, I will be. Is sent you okay and and what you're going to do is you're going to ask the pharaoh for a three-day holiday for sacrifice and worship but the text right after that says but i know he's going to read he's going to reject that request i mean you're going to say it and he's going to reject it but then i'm going to bring you out and i want you to get all the jewelry of the people just ask them and they're going to give it to you. You, know, you. It says borrow in some of your text, but they're going to give it to you. They weren't going to bring it back. And maybe it's so that the, the people looked all glam when they were leaving. No, it was so for provision. Um, and then Moses said, okay. Right? Isn't that what the text says? Moses says, okay, I'm on board. Let's go. No, in verse 1. Of chapter 4, it says this, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Those two famous words that came out of Moses' mouth. What if? Do we live under the fear of what if? Have you not pursued something because you have asked what if have your churches have we as a community of believers not done something for the cause of christ because we are afraid well what if what if the money doesn't come in well what if they say no well what if we don't have the volunteers for that what if And, and maybe do you think God was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. Well, what if, what if they, some of them reject you? Uh, let's rethink this. Sometimes I think we forget. And we ask, what if God isn't as big as he's claimed? And God is saying, all right, I guess I got to prove something to you. See that staff you got? Throw it to the ground. He throws it, and you know what it becomes, right? A snake. Now he runs. According to the text, it says he runs away. And God said, get back here, you silly kid at 80. He says, now I want you to pick it up, but you got to pick it up from what? The tail, so that its head can come and bite you. And so he does it. Now, the text doesn't say how long it took or if he's like, "Mm," you know, but he does it. Becomes a a staff again. He said, okay, we're not done yet. Put your hand within your robe. It says in your bosom. He says, and then take it out. And it says it became what? Leprous. It was white as snow. And it doesn't say so much how he reacts. He says, put it back in. Totally gone. And I I wonder, now this this is me thinking, I'm wondering if he did this to Moses, especially with the snake, because Moses is afraid of snakes. It doesn't say that in the text. Or he's at least afraid of getting bit by a snake. So he says... I know you're afraid, grab it by its tail. There's probably not too many of us that wouldn't be afraid of that. But see, here's the challenge. Was was Moses' fear rational? Is it it rational to be afraid of a snake? And I'm assuming this is probably a venomous one because God wanted to teach him. I'm going to give you, you know, the black mamba or whatever. And he says, so was it rational? Is it smart to be afraid of snakes, some of these snakes? Yeah, probably. But God says, I am going to take the danger away. And so if, there are no, if there's no danger, there should be no fear. Even if your hand is full of leprosy, one second later, it won't be. If there is no danger... There is no fear. So why are you freaking out? I want to show you that. So he says, okay, we're doing this. No. Moses says this in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, first thing in the text, The word slow of speech means heavy mouth. That's if you were translating it literally. He says, I've got a heavy mouth. And the text that God responds says this. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Do you see something strange in the text? Because most of us gloss right over this. Who, I'm going to read it again. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? If you are blind out there, who makes you blind? Uh Uh-oh, that doesn't fit within my theology. He actually uses words. Who makes you deaf? Who makes a person deaf or blind or mute? Now, I think you have to be careful about building a theology that God intentionally wants you to be deaf, blind, or mute. But the point is, he says, it doesn't matter how you are created if you have no eyes you can still see because i am the lord if i created you with no legs you could run a marathon because i am the lord if i created you with no hands you could still be a surgeon Because I am the Lord. Whatever I call you to, you can do no matter what you think. So you have no excuse. You might have a heavy mouth. Well, I will be your mouth. I don't care if you don't have a tongue. You could give the greatest speech ever given. Because I am the Lord. That is praiseworthy. But he says, I'll be your mouth. And then Moses says, okay, you're going to be my mouth. No, know, if you read the text, he said, can't you send somebody else? And it says God's anger burned against him. And, you know, God knew what was going on from the beginning, before he even asked Moses. I, I think he was just like, maybe I'm going to pull my hair out. I don't know what God's hair looks like. You know, some of the, they say white, long, whatever. Ugh, okay. You have a brother, right? Okay. Aaron will be your mouthpiece. Okay. Let's do this. Let's bring out the Israelites. But this laborious situation was needed to get Moses on track. But the last thing I want to to emphasize is there were two main questions, right? Who am I? And who are you? Now, the sad thing with Moses is he kept going back to, well, who am I? I don't have any clout with them. My mouth is heavy. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not worthy. And maybe that's a lot of our problems, is we are going on whether it's ministry or on life, on our qualifications. And we keep asking God, well, who am I? I know my neighbor doesn't know Christ, and I know you've put it on my heart to reach them for Christ. Who am I? I know you want me to do this, but but who am I? When the real question we should continually ask is, well, who are you? Continue to reveal yourself to me, Through me. So if I am the tiniest bush, burn through me.